one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 108 of Sports Speak. I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. Tim is back from his fantastic voyage in Lake George, New York. We have Raheel Jazzball here as well. Just a short time before he heads up to Syracuse and off to the Newhouse School, had to get him on before he heads off to college because we have some of his favorite athletes to talk about today. Antonio Brown has posted a couple of strange things on Twitter that we'll touch on. Uh, Kevin Durant, the latest saga with that. We'll start with that in a moment um, and also talk some Major League Baseball at the end. Yankees, Mets have both had their struggles lately but are still hanging on. So I got my Jacob deGrom t-shirt on. Hopefully he has a good start tonight to split the series in Atlanta. But let's start with the big NFL news of the day, guys. Deshaun Watson officially going to be suspended 11 games. Now, remember, Sue L. Robinson said it was going to be a six-game suspension. The NFL then went and appealed and wanted the full year. They sort of meet in the middle at 11 games. Ironically, it's going to set up his first game back is going to be against the Houston Texans in week 13. Of course, that kind of works out perfectly for the NFL. They're going to get a lot of ratings out of that. But Deshaun Watson still has issued an apology yet he's still maintaining his innocence so I don't really understand what he's saying at this point but the 11 game suspension Raheel I'll go to you first your feelings on the situation and is this you know fit for what he did I think so I think they I think they got it right I it's rare to say that the NFL actually got a suspension right but I think this I think 11 games is enough because I think we all thought six games was way too light because you look at the context of the NFL, six ga- a six-game suspension in the NFL is really not that much. You know, Tom Brady got four for deflate gate. D-Hop got seven for PED. So when you look at it that way, six games wasn't really that many. And I understand the whole, you know, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but the fact that there's, what, 30, plus, 30 allegations against him and how he's issuing an apology. So it's like you have to you, – there, there has to be some truth behind at least – some of these, some of these allegations, but I think 11 games is the perfect right in the middle. Like you said, Eddie, they wanted the full season. He already lost uh, last season because he couldn't play because the whole, because that's when all the allegations came out. So I think 11 games is pretty good. Um, And yeah, he'll play. And I guess for Browns fans, the positive of it being 11 games is he'll get inserted and he'll have the bye week. So insert, you know, he can learn, you know, get back in the flow of things with the bye week and then get ready week 13 but I think, I think they got it right. I think 11 games is good. Now, he did make the one appearance in the preseason the last week, which wasn't that great, to be completely honest. And, Tim, let's look at this now from the Browns' perspective. Obviously, they knew what they were getting into with signing Deshaun Watson. They knew that this was probably going to come. And there's people on Twitter who are outraged, like with Jimmy Haslam, what he said in reaction to it, and that he everybody deserves second chances. You kind of have to say that when he's your $200 million quarterback. And the Browns, I think, are willing to sacrifice this season and look at the next four years ahead as a potential opportunity. There's a lot of great quarterbacks in the AFC, but we've seen what Deshaun Watson is capable of before. At the same time, though, like Raheel said, he didn't play at all last year. He's going to miss most of this season. Do you think it's going to kind of hurt him and it's going to be a long road back to his original form with missing essentially almost two full years of NFL action? Or do you think he's going to get right back in the flow and the Browns, this move is ultimately going to work out for them? 
Well, it's going to take him some time to get back into the rhythm, if I'm being honest. But uh, I'll put it like this. I mean, for the Browns, this is going to be interesting because obviously you mentioned the first game he's going to be a comeback is going to be against Houston. But really, if we're being honest, you know, regardless of the fact of who's under center for Cleveland, the fact of the matter is for the Cleveland Browns is he's going to be coming back right in the middle of crunch time in the season where, hey, the Browns could be on the mix of a playoff mix. Not saying they will be, but right around that week, that could be right in the key portion of the season where they could be potentially on the bound of a playoff run, rather. If it's a wild card win the AFC North, nobody knows at this point, because let's be honest, uh, that division, while it's had a lot of good teams over the past few years, still has been a little bit unpredictable on who's going to be the top dog. Uh, Obviously, the Bengals made that very apparent last season. But to me... just don't know how he's going to play. Obviously, the first preseason game didn't look good, and I expect it to see mistakes, but his talent is there. The situation overall, I know, Raheel, you feel that 11 games may have been a good call. I still personally feel that he deserves a full season. I find it a little bit outrageous that when it's all said and done, Calvin Ridley uh, can get a suspension for betting on games that he's not even a part of, uh, and the fact that Deshaun Watson doesn't, uh, when there's multiple people involved is a little bit concerning to me. But at the end of the day, the penalty, you know, the penalty is the penalty. He's going to serve it. Um, and I will say this in the, in the aspect of Haslam. You know, listen, it's a very odd circumstance. Rather you like Deshaun Watson or not, the fact of the matter is they paid him a lot of money and you can't just simply cut him. Tim has frozen into the nether, so. How? Oh, he's back. He's back. He's back. Yeah, you froze. Okay. Hold on. I, I I think I know the problem. Give me one second here. How about now? We'll yeah. try that again. You All right. So. All right. Finish your point for us, Tim. Okay, so I was going to say that, you know, the situation's just a little bit odd, obviously, in regards to we're not used to seeing things like this. Mm-hmm. You know, where where you see a player mess up, they get cut immediately. A great example, uh, remember Chad Wheeler on the Seattle Seahawks, former New York Giant, right, has a domestic dispute situation. Unfortunately, now a lot of stuff's going wrong with him. He gets cut immediately. And granted, a little bit different here for sexual assault cases and sexual harassment, but the difference is the, the matter that the price tag on a lot of these players don't considerably match the amount that Deshaun Watson is going to make. So really the Browns are tied. You got to give him a second chance. But the fact of the matter is, I really hope that his apology, which truthfully from my standpoint, I still don't think it's fully genuine considering the fact that he's bouncing around both sides and is a little bit confusing a part of what he's saying. But the fact of the matter is, is that Deshaun Watson's going to play football this year. And if you're a Browns fan, you should be excited. You just have to hope that he has the respect of the locker room because that really, I think, makes the big difference of how they're going to respond for him in the future uh, if Browns are in a mix of off on the late this season. Yeah, and that's a good point to finish on. And, you know, that's that's why you can't – his apology is not genuine. If he's still saying that he maintains innocence, then the press conference today where he says that he's apologizing to all the people that he quote-unquote triggered because of this situation, he's still saying he didn't do anything wrong. He's just apologizing for causing a lot of drama that has triggered other people. It's really ingenuine, and there are certain things that obviously the Browns have said that a lot of people are going to be upset by, for example, saying that he's still young and he's learning. He's 26 years old. He's been in the NFL for four years, and you know he's an adult at this point, but 
like I said, they have to stand by their quarterback. They have to say these things. And they knew what the potential, you know, the potential fallout would be if they did these things. And they were willing to weigh the benefits of having Watson as your quarterback and having that skill set for the next four to five years versus what's going to happen this year. They're focused more on the long term. And, you know, with Lamar Jackson's contract situation uncertain with the Ravens, especially since he doesn't even have an agent. We don't know if the Bengals run last year was fluky or anything, or if they're going to be able to continue this and the Steelers, we still don't know who their starting quarterback is. So in the future, the AFC East could be uh, AFC North rather could be very, you know, it could be in reach for Cleveland who do have some good people pieces at other positions and to put it together in someone like Watson who was able to take a Texans roster to the playoffs multiple times a team that outside of him and DeAndre Hopkins didn't really have much you know I, I think this is going to work out in the end for the Cleveland Browns but let's talk about someone else Antonio Brown who's not on an NFL roster and I don't want to go full TMZ here but over the past week he has said let's just say some of his more interesting things on Twitter since all the way back in December when he left the field during the Jets game. Now he tweeted something that first of all, the statement was not written by him. It's from a meme page, the whole thing about how the biggest regret is that he's never gotten to see Antonio Brown play. And he compared himself to Jesus and the Beatles. It was posted on a meme page, but he endorsed it. He posted it on his Twitter with the caption, sincerely AB. So clearly he's standing by all of those words. So that's the first thing. Then now he's been sharing out a bunch of his highlight reels from when he was with the Steelers. And then now he's going after Tom Brady, was making comments about Tom Brady's trainer, and then was saying how there's a double standard, how, how he gets criticized for his mental health, whereas Tom Brady gets the option to step away from the Buccaneers for two weeks to deal with personal reasons before coming back during the preseason. So that's basically what's been happening in the world of Antonio Brown for the past week or so. I've been texting Raheel all of these tweets just to get him fired up and get him mad. So let's let's talk about it, Raheel. What's your feelings on Antonio Brown at this point? And do you think any NFL team's ever going to have him on the roster again? Eddie, you know, you know the answer to that. I know, but I want to ask it again. <laughs> okay, but the, the answer is no, obviously not. Listen, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, it's just it's, he'll go silent for a month and then he'll come out with these. Rant. I don't, under, I don't understand what he's trying to accomplish. But you realize the more you go after Tom Brady, the, the worse it looks for yourself because it just makes the outburst look even, even worse because you won a Super Bowl with the man. And again, like him to go after his trainer, I've already talked about, you know, he, remember he tried to like punk his trainer and be like, oh, you know, this guy didn't pay me. But then like he was, uh, the, he, he screenshotted a text message and showed the message of the trainer, like, I'll pay you the money. Just where do I pay you? And then Antonio Brown never responded. So really every, anytime he tries to help himself, he, he just, he just digs himself a further hole and a hole. I don't know. I mean, it's comedic entertainment. That's, that's really all I can say. Uh, I don't, but um, as far as, even if you look at it from the football standpoint, I'll say it again. I don't want to call him washed up, but he's close to being washed up because he's what now 34 years old. He keeps getting hurt and his explosion is not there anymore. So even if he was a fully healthy saint, it's still a risk to sign him because you don't know if he's going to stay healthy for a full 16 games. So it's, it's kind of obvious to me he's, he's done. I said it on this show since the shirtless peace sign incident. All of those other problems that he had with the other teams, aside from the whole helmet scandal, but that was also not during the regular season. 
All the other incidents he had did not involve his playing on the field. The fact that now everything that goes on in the mind and the world of Antonio Brown suddenly spilled onto the field and ended up resulting in a situation where he storms off the field during the game at halftime and essentially quits on his team that had a great chance to potentially win their second consecutive Super Bowl with him there and with the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL at the helm. You know, it, that's when I think it really ruined him and tarnished any chance that he could have to get another spot because now team C as much of a headache as he can be off the field. Now it spills over and it seeps into his on-field performance. And that's what really, really hurts things with Antonio Brown, but let's move to the NBA. Someone else who's pretty animated on Twitter at times is Kevin Durant. And I, I let's, let's talk about this because I feel like we've talked a lot about baseball in the NFL lately and we really haven't given this Nets situation justice here on Sportspeak. And now we got the faces. Let's talk about it here. So Kevin Durant, in the last couple of weeks, he sent an ultimatum to owner Joe Sy, saying that you either keep him or you get rid of coach Steve Nash and general manager Sean Marks. Now, when this first happened and Kevin Durant requested a trade, I went on Twitter, on the Sportspeak Twitter, and I was explaining how I wasn't completely against Kevin Durant, and I understood his frustrations because of how poorly the team had been run over the last couple of years. But now, I, my opinion has changed with his ultimatum. Because if you're blaming it all on Steve Nash and saying that Steve Nash has to be fired in order for you to stay, who's the reason Steve Nash is even the coach of the Nets? You are. You're the one who wanted Kenny Atkinson fired. Kenny Atkinson, who was doing a great job, took a team whose best player was D'Angelo Russell into the postseason and played the 76ers really tough in that first round. And then in the bubble year, got them into playoff positioning with Kevin Durant hurt and out for the whole year and Kyrie Irving only playing 20 games in the 72-game season. You know, that's the fact that Kenny Atkinson was then dismissed after that is ridiculous. To bring in a coach, who had no coaching experience at any level, any level whatsoever. At least Tyron Lue, people were critical of him. Obviously, he's turned out to be a great coach, but he had been an assistant before. Steve Nash had no coaching experience. He played in the NBA for, the for 15 years. He went back home to Canada and watched the NBA on TV for a few years, and suddenly his buddy KD gave him a call. Hey, do you want to be the coach of the Nets? All right, Joe Sy, this is who you're hiring. And now you want him gone? You want him gone in order for you to stay? You put the Nets in a worse situation. So that is why, at this point, I can't defend Kevin Durant any longer. But also, at this point, I don't see him getting traded anywhere. So this is going to be interesting because Boston probably had the most compelling offer with Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and some picks, and the Nets didn't want it. That was probably the best the Nets are going to get at this point. I've already said how Rudy Gobert ruined the market and made this very difficult. But I think Durant's kind of stuck in Brooklyn. I don't think Kyrie's going anywhere. I think Kyrie is a little more bought into the Nets, regardless of the situation at this point, because he sees the Lakers trade isn't going to happen. And honestly, I think that was the only place he was interested in going outside of Brooklyn. And Ben Simmons, maybe he'll play. But at this point, I don't know what to expect from Kevin Durant. I don't know if we're going to be seeing him suit up for the opening game, if he's going to be on the roster, who the coach is going to be. I've never seen an NBA team in this much flux, you know, two months before the season's supposed to start. So, Tim, I'll go to you first. October 19th, the Nets start their season against the New Orleans Pelicans. Will Kevin Durant still be on the roster, and will he be playing in that first game? He will still be on the roster, in my opinion. However, he'll be playing. I've 
what I truthfully believe. I think this is going to end up ultimately leading to a holdout. And I, I will say this, give the Nets some credit. You know, they're at least to this point, in my opinion, holding some accountability about the situation. The fact that, listen, they didn't respond to Kevin Durant immediately to this point to this point, because who knows, it may happen, but they haven't turned around and fired John Marks, who, let's be honest, has meant a absolute positive for the Nets since he stepped into his position as a GM. You know, he's done everything to, 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 to no, not just set up for Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and everyone to be there, even though they haven't won yet, but he's helped develop at least something, uh, somewhat of a winning culture in Brooklyn. But the fact of the matter is that you want to fire Nash, to me, it almost seems like that there has to be something internally that was brewing, you know, throughout the season with Kevin Durant and Steve Nash that, in my opinion, has led to this situation. Of course, we don't know. You can only speculate that. But to me, I just don't see why all of a sudden, after picking a coach uh, between both him and Kyrie, that they would turn around and say, oh, you know, or specifically Kevin, that I want them out. Otherwise, that's Otherwise, I want out. I I don't know. I it's tough. It's in disarray. But I'll put it like this: if I'm being honest, the, the whole market right now has really gone quiet since the Rudy Gobert trade. And I think the real big thing is this: you know, you had the preseason, the summer league games in Vegas, and you know that went all great and grand. But now, you know, we're getting about what is it a month away. Uh, from everyone, you know, starting to go to camp and everything else. And then, you know, the season's all going to begin. I really do think that if we're going to start seeing trades, we're going to start seeing the next two, three weeks. Um, if Kevin Durant, in my opinion, gets traded. But I just don't know. I don't know what to say. The Nets are in disarray. The other team, in my opinion, that's in really disarray, the Utah Jazz, because they just started talks again yesterday with the, uh, excuse me, not with the Brooklyn Nets, the New York Knicks, about potentially trading Donovan Mitchell to New York. But they want six first round picks and RJ Barrett, which, who in their right mind, granted, Donovan Mitchell's an excellent player and I'd love to see him in New York, who in their right mind would give six first round picks to the Utah Jazz for Donovan Mitchell? Uh, to, to me, the Knicks don't even know if they're going to have those first round picks because it all depends on what happens with Jalen Brunson first off in the whole first place with the tampering situation but the fact of the matter is is that teams are going to be asking for these outrageous prices and Eddie I do agree with you the Nets best offer was maybe what they got from Boston but the fact of the matter is they know they have to play Boston a lot more than maybe trading a you know trading him to a team in a western conference so when, when it's all said and done god the NBA is going to be interesting this season. I just think there's going to be a lot of holding out, a lot of a lot of midseason trading. But I'm going to be honest, I have no faith in the Brooklyn Nets. It's unfortunate. I thought this team two, three years ago was going to win a championship when all the signings first had. But this organization is in full-blown disarray. And if I'm going to be honest, I can't really blame Sean Marks. I can't. You want to blame coaching? You know, Steve Nash may not be the best coach. All right, but that's on Kevin Durant's fault, in my opinion, and everyone else that made that decision. And the fact of the matter is, is I feel like the one person that should be in charge of everything lost control of the situation, and his hands are tied behind his back. So I really, the, the person I'm most on the side of is Sean Marks and nobody else. Yeah, I agree with you. As, you know, I, I have a very complicated, you know, personal feeling when it comes to Steve Nash, because he was kind of thrown into the situation without any coaching experience. 
but he's also an awful coach. And games two and three against the Boston Celtics were a complete demonstration of that when he let the Celtics storm back from down 14 points, take an eight-point lead before he called timeout in the fourth quarter. But Sean Marks, you can't blame him. He's had to deal with the, some of the craziest personalities in basketball. I can't think of any professional sports team ever that has had their three best players on the roster. You don't know if they are going to play. And none of them are because of injury. Kevin Durant, because he wants to trade. Kyrie Irving, because of whatever Kyrie Irving's up to. And Ben Simmons, because he has not been seen on a basketball court since he passed up a layup against the Atlanta Hawks in the playoffs a year and a half ago. So and, and don't forget this. He helped take them out of the situation after the terrible trade with the Boston Celtics to turn around, get Ke uh, Kevin Garnett and everyone from that group where they lost all these picks. He helped build value and rebring the Brooklyn Nets back into relevancy. I, I to me, to turn on him is it it's very difficult to see, you know, as a situation when, yes, I know they haven't won a championship, but he developed a winning culture and he's helped at least present the future where, again, the Nets brought in Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. If you would have told me five, six years ago that would have been the case, I would have said, ah, Brooklyn's just a dwindling franchise that unfortunately is in the wrong sports market. But they've changed that outcome. They just need to win, but he has no control. Yeah, and... That's why it's just insane. You mentioned it. Three the three years after everything that happened with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, suddenly this team had a young core and, you know, they were ready to contend. And he kind of had his hand forced, of course, by the other stars to make the trade for James Harden. That's what frustrates me most because that trade was kind of forced on him because KD and Kyrie thought they needed a third. And you got rid of Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. And Karis LeVert, when healthy, is an excellent player. And Jared Allen was an all-star this past year. And you lose a center and a wing player, which are the two positions of greatest need on this roster, to bring in James Harden, who was here for a year. And then they ended up having to trade him for Ben Simmons. Simmons. And while I do like that trade in essence, because at least they got something for Harden instead of him walking to Philly and free agency, it frustrates me. But people don't give Sean Marks enough credit. You know, let's, let's think about underrated moves he's made. For example, I don't think Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were pressuring him to go sign Patty Mills. I think he went out and did that himself. And Patty Mills has been an excellent addition to this team, one of the more underrated shooters and scorers in the NBA who can play both point guard and shooting guard. You know, to keep Nick Claxton with the team, he's a very solid young center. He can't shoot free throws for his life, but every other aspect of the game, he's a good player. Royce O'Neal. Like you said, the Jazz are a mess. I don't know why they traded Royce O'Neal for a draft pick, but Sean Marks pulled off that move, and suddenly the Nets have a very solid wing player that they can work off the bench or as a starter, depending on who's out there. So that's it. I don't I don't want to yell about the Nets anymore. I want to let Raheel get in here. So, Raheel, first your opinion on the Nets and Kevin Durant, and also, since Tim brought it up, about the Knicks and if Donovan Mitchell is maybe shipped in some massive package, could you see it happening? All right, let, let's let's start with the Nets. So this is going to get messy. Kevin Durant is it, he will he's not going to get traded. No one is going to give up nine first round picks for Kevin Durant when he's thirty four years old, and he might not even finish his four year contract. Like, let's be honest here. As much as Kevin Durant has been great over the years, he hasn't stayed healthy for what, a full eighty plus games almost his entire career. He keeps getting hurt, whether that be a knee injury ever since the ACL, but. Okay, let, let's break this down. Let's talk about Steve Nash. Eddie, you talk about it. Is Steve Nash a good coach? No. Is he in way over his head? Of course. But again, 
Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving went out of their way to go get him. And why is that? It's because they knew he wouldn't stand up to them and they can just do what they wanted with the offense. The Brooklyn Nets offense is you go, I go, you go, I go. It's very similar to what Kevin Durant ran in Oklahoma City. Okay, that's the reason he left OKC. He didn't like Russell Westbrook being his primary decision maker. Okay, fine. He goes to Golden State. Once he leaves Golden State, he criticizes Steve Kerr. Oh, you know. He overcoached me. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like that. So he comes to Brooklyn, runs the same system. Now he's complaining, pick a damn system. Which one do you want? It makes no sense to me. And then he wants to blame Sean Marks. Okay. Sean Marks has done a great job with this team. You can say what you want. All right. Is it his fault that Ben, we don't know where the hell Ben Simmons is. Is it his fault that Kyrie Irving didn't get vaccinated? Is it his fault that James Harden started tanking? And also when he traded James Harden, he got you Seth Curry Andre Drummond, and Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons can still be a quality player. People are saying he's ready to gear it up, okay? Seth Curry was probably your best player in the postseason because Kevin Durant played like an absolute, he just played lost. He completely crapped his pants. He, he, he choked under the pressure there, okay? And he got you Andre Drummond, who, yes, he can't shoot free throws, but you needed a big man. He gave you a big man. And you got rid of James Harden, who was tanking and messing everything up. So how could he have done better in that situation, Kevin Durant? Tell me how. Also, with Steve Nash, I know Steve Nash is not a good coach, but he was he the one that shot 13 of 31 in game four? Was he the one that almost averaged more turnovers than made field goals? Does Steve Nash still play basketball? I mean, I know you're delusional. You got your timelines confused, but Steve Nash doesn't play for the Suns anymore. Last I checked. So this makes zero sense to me. And, and again, why would you trade for Kevin Durant right now when he can't stay healthy and he's 34 years old? Again, no one wants to give up eight first round picks to get him. And again, this is classic Kevin Durant. As soon as there's some adversity, as soon as there's some pressure on, he deflects the blame and he runs. He becomes a track star. Put him in a race against Usain Bolt. He runs the other way, all right? He ran in Oklahoma City, okay? He blew a 3-1 lead. He shot 12 of 32 in that game six. Blamed Russell Westbrook. He left, all right? There was some shred of doubt in Golden State once he got hurt. He knew Klay Thompson was hurt. Iguodala was hurt as well. Instead of staying there and helping them grind, he blamed Draymond Green for the scuffle, and he left. And now, did we hear any rumblings about him complaining about Steve Nash last year? No, because he knew Steve Nash would catch the blame for not calling a timeout because he played well. But now, all of a sudden, since he didn't play well, he played the worst four games of his career, he wants to run, and it's all your fault. This classic Kevin Durant. This is classic Kevin Durant, the weakest superstar you will ever see that runs from the grind and is so soft, he might actually hear this. And he wants to be considered the best player in all basketball. Yep. That, that, was, a, that was a beautiful rant, Raheel. I really hope now Kevin Durant goes and sees the sports speak Twitter and replies. You know, he's so soft, he might. I mean, like, that, that's just the way it is. As far as Donovan Mitchell goes, Tim, I would love to have him. I'm not throwing an R.J. Barrett. I mean, the, the whole process is trying to keep RJ Bear. I know you got Jalen Brunson. Try and work your way around it. You've got, you've got for now, three, four first-round picks in 2023. See what you can do with it, but I'm not, get, I'm not throwing an RJ Barrett in the deal. Well, and, and the point, too, of if it was Julius Randle, I'd say if I were the Knicks, jump on it. Because oh, yeah, 100%. Julius Randle, can he still be a good player? I truthfully believe he can be. You know, there, there's a lot of potential, but it's more of there's a lot more value with RJ Barrett, it, you know, tied in. So, and unfortunately, they don't want him, which is surprising, you know, considering the fact they turned away Rudy Gobert that they don't want Julius Randle. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I really think what's going to happen for 
lot of these trades, guys, as the rest of this offseason wears off, is that, let's be honest, if we are going to see superstars traded, it's going to be for much more diminished value because teams are in a fantasy land right now trying to base on a price that wasn't realistic, you know, to begin with off the Gobert trade to Minnesota. But again, that's what I would expect from someone named uh, Alex Rodriguez, you know, trading for some meaningless position in the NBA in 2022. So he'll learn his mistakes just like uh, Michael Jordan hopefully learned from his mistakes from years with the Bobcats and now the Hornets, uh, which still, for my opinion, uh, need a little bit of time to come into relevancy and see a full winning championship campaign. But that, that's another discussion for another day. But it, it, again, either way, I just view it as it'll take some time for the trades to come. And listen, I'm sure we're going to see someone dealt, even if it's not Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell, but I, I don't feel like we're done. It's just the fact that we're kind of in that dead time where something's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And really, I think it's going to, you know, start getting close to when players start reporting overall to camp. Yeah, and that's why it's so weird because there were so many rumors and so many things that can still happen. But two things happened that ruined everything. First, of course, is the Utah-Minnesota trade. I mean, I love Rudy Gobert. He's a great defensive player, but this is an offensive-centric league. Gobert's been in the league for a while now. I think he's nearing the end of his prime. And for the Timberwolves to trade away four players, three of them that are starting caliber, multiple first-round picks for him, suddenly throws off the market for any other superstar. Donovan Mitchell, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant are all much better players than Rudy Gobert and provide you much more. So certainly the demand is going to be higher. So that happens. And then Kevin Durant, of course, requests the trade, but he only wants it pretty much to a contender. The Suns, the Heat, he wants to go there. Those teams have great foundations already. They are not going to trade away their future. Those are teams with young talent that are going to be contenders for the next four or five years. They are not going to throw that all away for Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is a fantastic player, and I still think he can average 25 to 30 points a game, play 65, 70 games a year, and be a factor in the postseason. But that said, you're not going to throw away all of your young talent and throw five, six first-round picks at him. Then you've got the whole Kyrie Irving situation with the Lakers. The Lakers don't have any sort of you know, bargaining tools that they can use to make a trade. Two first-round picks for Kyrie Irving from the Lakers when you really don't know how good or bad they could be because with LeBron James on that team, they could literally finish last place or they could win the championship. Their ceiling and their floor are so spread out just because LeBron is there and you don't know what they're going to get from him and Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis health-wise and performance-wise. Those picks could have lots of value or no value. So the Nets are definitely not going to take that risk. And then with the Knicks, for Donovan Mitchell, yeah, they'd love Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I think Donovan Mitchell would thrive at MSG. But do you trade R.J. Barrett, who had an amazing third season last year, and then throw in all of these first-round picks for him? Absolutely not, especially when the Knicks in recent years have been able to draft well. And you kind of don't want to throw that away. They found some nice pieces in Grimes and McBride and quickly that haven't really been top of the radar in the draft, but they've been able to find them, develop them and make them core parts of their offense and their attack every single game. So those two incidents have just completely thrown off the market and kind of left everything in a holding period right now. But obviously if news breaks, we will bring it to you on sports speak and share our opinions. If if we could for a moment, too, because you mentioned LeBron James, how are you guys feeling about the fact that two year extension worth nearly one hundred million dollars? 
to me, that's a little bit risky for the Lakers to do, considering that LeBron hasn't been healthy over the last four, or, you know, the last three to four seasons outside of the championship run. And the big thing for me, too, is while LeBron's statistically playing his best basketball, believe it or not, throughout his career, uh, you know, as an overall player at this point in his career, I still just find it, to me, very difficult to pay someone two years, $100 million on an extension practically. Well, yeah, but it's a very simple answer. He's going to be making $50 million a year when he's 40, which, yes, is ridiculous. Russell Westbrook is making $47 million right now to barely contribute in the starting lineup. So you can't have LeBron making less money than Russell Westbrook. He's got that leverage on his side. So that sort of just happened. But I want to close the show quickly with this because don't know the next time we're going to have Raheel on, but the Giants season starting in just a couple of weeks. And me and Tim went through the schedules. I've got the Giants finishing seven and ten. Tim has them finishing eleven and six. So Raheel, you are a Giants fan, but I don't think you're as delusional as Tim. What record do you see them? Do you agree more with my seven wins or Tim's eleven? I'm more. I'm more on your side, Eddie. And I understand the Giants have a really easy schedule, Tim. But just based on past years, I can't. I, I can't. I mean, listen. There. I think at they're at least going to compete in the division. Cause I don't think the Cowboys are going to run away with the division. I don't necessarily think the Eagles are going to run away with the division either. So there's going to be at least somewhat of a competition, but I have, I, I don't know. I mean, I saw a video that Kenny Galladay is not getting any effort whatsoever in training camp. I have, I have no idea. There was a giant brawl. Um, I have faith in Brian Dable. I don't have much faith in Daniel Jones. We'll see. I honestly think after or actually record this year, actually, I think, by week 11, Daniel Jones will get the hook and Tyrod Taylor will be the starting quarterback. That's what I think is going to happen. All right. I will make sure to clip that. And don't the Giants just have a brawl at training camp every year? I feel like, yeah, there's a couple of teams that happen, it happens, but every single year something happens at Giants camp. Every, but every, every team does. It's just the fact it's New York media. It's a little bit more, you know, exposed compared to others. I mean, Joe Burrow literally – literally was in the center of a fight in Bengals training camp and no one's fussing about that. He was literally punching people on his own and pushing linemen around. It's just the fact of the matter of it happens everywhere. You got to get used to physicality. And while I agree, I think for the record, Tyrod Taylor is a much better quarterback than Daniel Jones. I just truthfully think the fact of the matter is Giants play an easier schedule and that that team can still compete. And, Eddie, also, by the way, I know it's preseason, but you want to compare records already. Who has the better record? Okay. Chris Streveler was in at quarterback when the Eagles lost that game. Okay. I mean, th- th- that was in the fourth quarter, third well. stringers. It was with the third stringers. The Eagles, when they had their first stringers in against the Jets' first stringers, took a 14 nothing lead 10 minutes in that game. And Jalen Hurts was a perfect six for six on the first drive. So, you know. Uh, that's what matters. The first stringers, not the third stringers, but we'll leave it at that. And we'll have more to talk about the first stringers in a couple of weeks when the NFL regular season begins. Uh, Raheel, thanks as always for joining us and uh, good luck at Syracuse. We'll have more coming soon. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Sportspeak Live, NASCAR pick them and pick them continuing NFL pick them just two weeks away. That'll be back as well. So a lot to follow along there on Twitter, but until next time, I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. Signing off of Sportspeak. Hope you have a great rest of your week.